What's up, everybody? This is Healing Intentions, and I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Mimetti. This podcast is about natural health and wellness, mental health, cannabis, psychedelics, philosophy, and spirituality. Today, my guest is Dr. Brian Bernier. Dr. Brian Bernier is a naturopathic doctor currently located in Chicago, Illinois. He's passionate about helping others realize more of their potential in life. He has a background in psychology, as a lifetime Psy-Chi member, and has contributed in psychological research. He is particularly interested in chronic autoimmune conditions, but also loves to help his patients naturally reverse conditions such as diabetes, hypertension, and cholesterol issues. Let's get started. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Healing Intentions. This is your host, Dr. Adrian Mamedi. Today, I have a very, very special guest, one of my really good friends from school, uh, now Dr. Brian Bernier. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is, this is exciting. I've been waiting to do this. I know we keep going back and forth about when it can happen, and I, my schedule is terrible, and I'm terrible at like, scheduling out an event time, but I'm glad we got it done. So. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, you know me and my sales background. I had to chase you down and say, "Hey, where's the dates? Let's do it. Can you do Wednesday?" And you're like, "Yes, sir." Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we got to make it happen, man. You're, um, you know, one of my great colleagues and friends from school, and I just, I just can't even believe it that our episode we recorded while we were in school was over two years ago. Now it was June fourteenth of twenty twenty. It got released, and it's just like wow, two yeah. years have gone by, and wow, what a what a crazy, interesting uh, world we're living in now, man. There's so much to talk about. So really excited that you're uh, that you're here. And, um, you know, just wanted to get started by talking about, you know, what, what have you been up to here these last uh, couple of years? How have things been since school? You know, what have you been doing with practice and just kind of update us a little bit on all that. Cool. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of patients, a lot of patients. Um, I've learned a lot about the business aspect of medicine, which is very different from patient care. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like one of the things that you're shielded from when you're an intern is, how much on the business aspect things are taken care of and you're kind of shielded from the medical monster of insurance and all those other things standard of care etc mm-hmm. um and what patients actually go through trying to see the doctor so um yeah i've learned a lot in that sense but i've seen a lot of patients that's one thing i will say um I currently have a few things going on. I'm still working on some books. That's always coming along. Mm-hmm. I've learned some new technological ways to speed that process up. So it's not as in- encumbering on myself. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've been seeing a lot of patients. Uh, mostly I see people who are looking to uh, do a lot of lifestyle counseling. So it's good because I get to practice a lot of vitality, mm-hmm. uh, vitalism, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the functional medicine aspect, which a lot of people are familiar with NDs for. Right. And I, I don't like that at all. I've learned that. That's one thing I will say I've learned in the last two years. I highly dislike functional medicine. Um, and what do you, you know, just for anybody listening that might not be super familiar, what's your breakdown of functional medicine versus vitalism, uh, naturopathic medicine? How would you describe that? Yeah. So functional medicine doesn't have a definition. They live in, in no man's land. Whether they're acupuncturists who do the functional medicine courses, whether they're chiropractors, whether they're just nutritionists, whether they're just anybody who just does functional medicine courses. Mm-hmm. So because there's no standardized education system on taking you from beginning to ending, it's more so I would describe it like becoming certified in like McKenzie or something like that if you're a chiropractor or getting a uh, diplomate in oncology or something like that. If you're a naturopathic doctor, right. it's something additional you can do, but it doesn't actually give you a proper education on which, on how to view health or at least in, in any particular ideology. And, you know, they claim to get to the root cause, but that's actually not what they do. They do a lot of biohacking, quote unquote, biohacking, mm-hmm. uh, over supplementation in my estimation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of basically it's not pseudo diagnosing, but it's not appropriate diagnosing to actually treat conditions. It's more so let's look at a functional test. Let's look at some numbers. If these numbers are off, then let's try to fix the numbers and hope that fixes you. 
Mm-hmm. That's not a good path to health. There is a reason in medical school that we learned that you should, and MDs have forgotten this too. And they're not alone. I mean, don't get me wrong. People who practice functional medicine are not alone in this. I think healthcare is a crisis in this, but a lot of people are looking to do functional tests or run exams and say, let's see what's wrong. And then let's treat that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you're kind of missing the mark there on the, on the viewpoint of health, at least from our perspective as NDs, because it's truly a philosophical difference. So I would say functional medicine is going to an MD or another practitioner who wants to try to do things from a less aggressive pharmacological perspective. Right. That, that is what you get from functional medicine is people right. who approach medicine from a less aggressive pharmaco- pharmacological perspective. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. I think, uh, at least for the NDs that practice more, because uh, you could be an ND and practice functional medicine, mm-hmm. but for the NDs that practice more on vitalism, it's more so looking at the individual and going through basically the classics that Linlar set up a, a long time ago. Um, and not even, and we can go before Linlar, but at least at Linlar, we should start there. Right of, um, you know, cleaning the body of toxins, helping support the blood, cleaning out the lymph, getting movement, correcting structural integrities, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera, going down that line of the determinants that are, that are basic to life. So, yep. Yep. Right. Well said. Um, Sorry, that was a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's, uh, it's, it's so important, you know, and, and it's, it's really about, um, really being able to dif- differentiate because what people don't know maybe is that naturopath, uh, functional medicine came from naturopathic medicine. It's really like a diluted form of naturopathic medicine. Some would say, you know, and, and so it's yeah. like, you know, and, and the, the, my favorite part of Linlar, I was looking it up because I wanted to remember the exact words is that sixth step that it talks about arouse the individual in the highest degree to the consciousness of personal responsibility and to the necessity of intelligent personal effort in self-help. Yes. That, right? It's I, funny because that, that is not an exclusive point on Linlar. That mm-hmm. is an exclusive point that all psychologists and all healers have always determined throughout the ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> what's his name? For Mendel, Mendel has the hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Not the most accurate of things, but still at the top of the list is that very point that Linlar pointed out. Um, I believe it was, uh, no, not James, um, which American, uh, Erickson, American psychologist Erickson. He does the same thing. He points out the stages of development and that's at the highest one, even in religious connotations, which is the same thing you have, you have Christ, which stands as an ideal. And then if you, I mean, whatever religion you want to, Buddha, Tao, Muhammad, everybody is essentially the ideal of the, of the individual potential maximized. Right. So, you know, that's, and that is almost never done in medicine. That's like, cause it takes a developed person to be able to try to facilitate in somebody else. And most people don't facilitate that in themselves enough. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. That's and you know, not to say that functional medicine hasn't helped people. Of course it has, you know, of all of these things are, are helping people, moving them in the right direction. But what we're talking about is a fundamental opposing paradigms, really, yeah. of like, you're able to heal yourself. That's the big difference in functional naturopathic medicine. Naturopathic medicine, vitalistic naturopathic medicine has the vis medicatrix nature, you know, the inherent vital force healing self-healing power of our body whatever you want to call it that is there that like we are meant to heal ourselves if you give the right tools and everything you know whereas functional medicine it's like well let's do thousands of dollars of tests let's load you up on all these supplements and maybe we'll get you a little bit less symptoms and the root cause ah i don't know it's some nice words <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's 100 i mean what you described is 100% accurate i have lots of patients who come to me uh when all else fails i get a lot of those i've had a lot of mayo clinic uh patients who come mm-hmm. to me i've had a lot of people who come to me and they they actually are hesitant to come to me they usually are a referral from a friend who i helped uh them on their healing journey mm-hmm. And they'll come to me and they're like, look, I didn't want to come here because I've already done functional medicine. I've done all this. I've tried this supplement. I've tried this. I've tried this. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not why you're sick. Mm -hmm. 
you know, nobody's sick because they have an Advil deficiency. And likewise, you're not sick because you lack astragalus in your life. That's not why you're sick. Right. So just because we have uh, tools to utilize that are less aggressive and with less toxicity, AKA side effects. um, It doesn't mean that that's what you need to run to anytime there's an issue. And the, I guess that kind of goes to the mind body connection because Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you put people in a sick environment, it's very hard for them to be healthy. Very, very hard for them to be healthy. And a lot of times we're in very sick environments from, traumas that we're dealing with and actual traumas. I don't mean people who are like, Oh, my, you know, my daddy didn't hug me enough kind of thing. Right. I, like that's, a, that is a trauma, but it's not, I'm not talking about the traumas that produce cancers and things like that. They're far, far greater. And a lot of people are walking around. That's probably something I've learned tremendously in the last two years. Um, people are walking around with a lot of pain and a lot of real, very real traumas that should have walloped them and left them broken. It, they, it leaves them broken in pieces and they're just, kind of moving along like a like a puppet and it's like the marionette of society is is holding them up with the strings but they're just they're completely in shambles yep. so yeah i usually just start there with them before i even go to any supplement and i tell them uh kind of like we learned from dr dr lou dr louise edwards mm-hmm. uh, shout out to her oh yeah the word supplement means just just means in addition to yeah so i can't i don't like to start people with supplements um unless it's something like very severe that I know I'm looking to suppress or support a diseased system. Um, then I will use a supplement to like hold them together as we work on everything else. Mm-hmm. But otherwise no, I almost, I tell them, look, I'm not even going to start with you on a supplement for like the first like month and a half. We're mm-hmm. going to work on everything else. And then after you get the ball rolling on everything else, if you still need further support, then I'll be willing to, you know, recommend a couple of supplements for a temporary time period not right. for the next years, take magnesium because we're all magnesium deficient. So, right. Yeah. That's funny. You say that one, because <laughs> I feel like maybe we are all magnesium deficient, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, out, of no, the few, that... out of the few supplements, that's the one that I feel like almost everybody could use a little bit of, because even if you eat all the greens in the world, yeah. the soils are deficient, you know? Oh yes. Yeah. No. So yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's not benefit in getting higher quality uh, micronutrients and, and macronutrients right. in the system. Never saying that. Right. Uh, but if we have to live off pills and there's something broken. And now sometimes mm-hmm. in a global sense, something is broken. And we oh, can yeah. definitely do that with the economy and the way that things are running. Yep. There's a lot of things that are broken. Um, and I think that's what this tool, the internet does for us. It allows us to see more of what we thought was coherent systems that were functioning that weren't, that couldn't be debilitated in any kind of way that we're always just permanently working. It's like, yeah, we get to see a lot of broken things with the internet mm-hmm. and it, it makes us realize the fragility of our, our existence. Um, and I think it's actually, I mean, I'm, I feel like an old man when I say this, I'm like, I don't know if the, if I weigh everything on a scale, I don't think the benefits of the internet outweigh the negatives that come from it. So I don't even know if we should have the internet. I think it's something we actually may want to do away with as a, as a, as an entire species. It sounds crazy. I know. Cause I'm on the internet right now saying this. <laughs> yeah. Do you mean the internet or do you mean social media? Cause that's I mean, where I would kind of specifically like social media, hundred percent. I feel yeah. like there's way more negatives and downsides. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially for like teenagers and stuff. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, yeah. but but the internet, it's like, well, <laughs> and you got to go back to going to the library to check out books to do your research. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Um, I was weigh- I was weighing some of the, I just sit down, I, I ponder on some things sometimes. And I actually, because I like to actively engage in thinking. Yeah. And so um, I took a personality test and it turns out like on intellectualism, that's not intelligence, mm. but the fascination with um, deep thought and philosophical abstract ideas mm-hmm. i rate i'm on the 90 i'm in the 98th percentile which means <laughs> like it's very hard to find somebody who's more intrigued by philosophical thought than me yeah. um but yeah so i was thinking about the internet and the benefits and versus the negatives and there, i could think of a lot of negatives just to the internet. i mean google just google alone because like yeah. that's a hard one it's a search engine it's like yeah but if you put the pros versus the cons up and the ways that it's 
I think it's denigrated the over society overall. I'm like, I don't think it's better. And I actually think that even before social media, I think that I think social media is a natural product of the internet because the internet allows us to connect. Mm-hmm. And so social media is just a tool to connect people in more ways. I don't think you could ever have an internet where you're not connecting with people. Right. So, right, right. Uh, they go I together. Think, yeah. Yeah. I don't think you could have an internet absent social media. I think it's the natural evolution. Kind of like if you have highways, and you're going to have people moving to the cities and suburbs. They're going, it's going to happen. People are going to visit each other. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. internet is a bridge in that sense to connect people. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of negatives with connecting with people in a mass scale that you're not ready to hear. And because if you don't think, and I mean that technically, if you don't actually, if you don't actually technically think, meaning separate yourself. I posted a reel about this on my other page recently. Mm. Um, but you do have to, Socrates always talked about that, separating yourself into different personalities and contrasting your thoughts, then processing them and really editing them and then coming up to a conclusion. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a very difficult task for most people to do. And most people just repeat. <laughs> they just right. repeat random things that pop in their head and then they end up saying oh i didn't mean that and i'm like yeah i know you didn't <laughs> because you're not thinking i don't hold it against you but yeah, yeah I, don't, I i mean the, and i mean the actual internet i don't know if it's more beneficial than negative um uh, overweight overall i i love it dr brian <laughs> coming out with the controversial topics from the beginning that's that's awesome I got a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah I got a we, lot. we've got a lot that we've kind of sequestered off to the do not talk about on this episode even so <laughs> yeah. but that's a good one man no that's um definitely an interesting thought experiment and yeah you're so right about the intellectualism like i we bring up some interesting topics or debates i remember in school and you just go off into philosophy mode and yeah, <laughs> you just start thinking, 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 but it's right, man. Critical thinking and logic just went completely out the window, you know, for a lot of people here these last couple of years. And so it's like, yo, it's going to get worse if you don't start to think for yourself yeah. here soon. You know, I see it with patients. I don't like to do a lot of psychological intervention with patients because I don't consider myself a psychologist, mm-hmm. but I thought it was interesting because, um, I was talking with a, a patient, creative people have this issue. They really have this issue of borders and the benefit of borders. They think that mm-hmm. borders should almost be completely eroded, mm-hmm. but there's incredible benefits to borders because, and this is why I think in the internet overall raises anxiety and negative emotion. It mm-hmm. leads people towards neuroticism and narcissism automatically. Yeah. But um, I mean, an example of that, a simple example of that is go on your Netflix. You can't find anything outside of your sphere of influence that you like it, it molds you to make you see what you want to see. And you can't escape that little circle that they put you in because it's based upon your interests. Right. So then it's awful. It's also self uh, feeding. It's a positive feedback loop. Mm-hmm. And any psychologist who's worth their salt knows that 99% of the psychological disorders are positive feedback loops. You do them, they're self-rewarding, and then they put you in a worse position, but then because of the reward you get for them, you keep cycling in that system. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to a creative patient and um, they were suffering from um, just a lot of uh, anxiety and issues. And I was telling them, I was like, well, that's because you don't have enough borders in your life. And they're like, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, well, there's an infinite number of ways to perceive anything. You walk into like this pen. If I was an artist, I could sit here and just spend weeks designing like just little grooves here in this rubber part of the pen. Mm-hmm. But when you walk in a room, you don't view, though there's everything you can perceive, you don't do that. You drastically reduce what actually has to be focused on. And the reason you do that is because how would you move if you didn't do that? You'd become paralyzed. And that's actually what anxiety is. You become more aware of everything in your ambiance because everything is a threat. And so, and that's what you see with the internet and social media, et cetera. It's mm-hmm. like there's constant comparisons. You're constantly learning. You're scrolling. It's rapid amount of information that you're not even properly digesting. And so with the patient, I was telling them, I was like, look, you have a lot of anxiety, but you also don't have a lot of borders up. Mm-hmm. Borders are good because they allow you to perceive self versus other. So there's some benefit to borders. Now, where you place the border on your perception matters. 
And the mm -hmm. more you have it, if you have no borders to your home or anything, that means the world is your home. And that sounds appealing at first, mm -hmm. but that also means the dangers of the world are your home as well. So then you're also responsible for everything. So, right. you know, earthquake in Myanmar happens. Is it still Myanmar or Burma? I can't remember. <laughs> but this is an example. Earthquake in Myanmar happens. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're rifled with guilt because you went and bought a Starbucks cup of coffee um, when you could have been donating to that tragedy that you saw. Right. And it's like, well, how much tragedy can the human mind suffer with compassion? Because I don't know why people think compassion can't be pathological. It absolutely can. and absolutely is in many cases. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a doctor, compassion burnout, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Compassion burnout. There's so many examples where compassion, empathy, and these things can actually be uh, paralyzing to the individual and actually become problematic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was explaining to the patient the, the benefit of actually separating and setting boundaries on not just they were having it with um, identity issues. Mm -hmm. And so I was helping them with that and helping them to understand neurobiologically, like what actually happens when you have anxiety, like what regions of the brain are active, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, I never even thought about that. And I'm like, it's interesting because I, I watched the change that happened. Uh oh, we have a time limit. Uh, I guess so. Not sure how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. We'll just restart yeah. it for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I watched them improve after having that conversation. I just watched little by little, like certain issues they were having in their life seemed to just dissolve mm -hmm. because they it seemed like after this long conversation we had in detail about borders, they're like, yeah, I didn't realize I didn't have. They had always assumed that no borders was the best option. And mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. Not necessarily true. You have to think through these things and see if they're actually appropriate for you to have as ideologies. So, man, yeah, absolutely. That's so true. And it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, like you're talking about the amount of information we get on a daily basis now is so overwhelming. And it's, I don't know the numbers, but it's like ridiculous. Like what we can get in one day is like years worth of, you know, life back in the day that's a lot for our nervous system to process and to integrate like who's taking yeah. the time to integrate all of that information you know and it's just the same like with psychedelics it's all about the integration you have this mind expanding mind-blowing you know spiritual experience you know you see god you become one with god whatever it is and then you go back to the office monday morning and just try to live life as usual it's like well <laughs> It's all, about, it's all about the integration and like, what do you take from that experience? How are you applying that to your daily life? And, you know, on and on. So it, it just, it makes a lot of sense that I think we're, it, it's not going to continue like this forever. Something has to stop. Something has to change because it's clearly not working as it is. And it's only getting worse, you know, for a lot of people like this anxiety, ADD, is only going to become more rampant. And it's like, what's, what's the end game here? You know? <laughs> It, the end game is like a patch of Ritalin. It's like, it's up to the pharmaceutical company. That's what they want. Seriously. Yeah, um, yeah. We do live in a world and it's very serious where there's people who have invested interest in making people ill. Yep. And so um, we can't look at every uh, technological advancement or everything that's presented to us as some champion of our woes and ills. Cause it's like, how do you know that person has good intentions for you and, and, providing you with that tool is it actually beneficial for you mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah. often we often assume that people who have status people who have status we view as above and things that we view as above we view as a superior and so therefore if somebody who has status is doing it that in most people's minds without thinking that is the correct course of action to take and so yep. not necessarily and that's Not literally influencer marketing. And that's literally why companies do that nowadays. And it's crushing for them, you know, and what's a corporate, uh, you know, a company's goal to make more money every quarter, more quarter money than they did the last quarter, continue increasing their stock price if they're public yep, you know, or private for their investors or whatever. And on and on it goes, you know, and yep. capitalism has a lot of, uh, <laughs> 
positives, but once again, probably more negatives overall, you know, for, for the way of society, at least and people and the planet. So yeah. it's like, where is that going to go? It's going to be very interesting. Yeah. We have to restructure. And I, I mean, you said this can't last forever. And I think that's what we're seeing right now is the erosion of a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and that's when you get the polarization is when things are the most unstable and that's what we see with everything, but right. No, it certainly can't last forever. And I don't think any, I don't even know if we have the name for the political and socioeconomic system that's going to exist after this is over, right. but um, we see it rapidly changing. And I see those who are, and I, I can I sympathize because I recognize that they, they see the benefits of what their, their economic system has produced. I mean, here I am sitting in an air conditioned room with, multiple cameras and clothes that were woven by some kid in Bangladesh for six cents a week. You know what I'm saying? Right. So yeah, yeah. Um, my comfort comes at the expense of others. And I know that for certain, I mean, we're both right. using devices with Colton in it, and there's like, what, how many African limbs are in the Congo were cut off to produce these technologies that Apple and, and Google yeah. are you. So yeah. Yeah. I recognize that uh, there are benefits that come with, capitalism but they also produces massive inequality and some would argue no it's actually it's going to lift everybody out of inequality but i think what marx pointed out and i don't think marxism is the answer especially not the way that the weird leftists are doing it right. it's definitely not. that's that's they're interpreting it wrong but what marx pointed out in his book ignoring the solution what he pointed out was that there's always a a peak to everything and the peak to rapid economic growth or the free market economy it has a peak too it's not unlimited mm-hmm. and when that reaches its peak it typically when things reach their peak they tend to start causing more harm than good mm-hmm. and once they reach that precipice when they when it reaches that point then something new has to, to supplant it right. and that's kind of where that, the position we're at right now people are arguing what it's going to be don't really know but i know it has to change mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and hopefully we can be a part of that change you know be the change you want to see in the world right a gandhi quote you know and uh that's what we're trying to do here with our tribe is be a part of that change and you know it starts with your small individual group and that's what existed before social media and the internet right you knew what was in your small little community of 100 150 people that's all the people you dealt with in your entire life and that was it. Yeah. You didn't care or know what was going on in Myanmar, Myanmar and India. Or, and, and it's like that didn't exist in your world at all. So you had your yeah. little community and that's who you, you know, invested in and spent your time with. And I think that's my prediction of where we're going back is to that, like the small communities and like self-sustaining and, you know, all of that, because it it's the way just like with healthcare, traditional medicine, living with nature is the way it was always done in all of human history until the last hundred years when the Rockefellers came in and said, no, 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 flex yeah. the report. We're changing all this, baby. Homeopathic, yeah. naturopathic schools. Those aren't any good anymore. They're not scientific. Yeah. yeah. I know. If people don't even know that Flexner wasn't even a doctor. People think that Flexner was a doctor and he was going around raiding medical schools. And it's like, he wasn't even a physician. This yeah. dude was just a guy hired by Rockefeller. But, yeah. uh, well, you know, it's funny. I didn't know this about the Flexner report. He closed, he's the one that closed the, the women's medical colleges as well as the black medical colleges as well. I didn't mm-hmm. know that part. Um, that part was left out of our, our school and our education. When they went over to Flexner Report, they talked about the legality and all everything that resulted from it in the end of alternative medicines. But he literally wrote in his report, I read his report recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the whole thing. And his report was like, well, black people would be better if you guys were uh, just like janitors and, and uh, people that cleaned up. <laughs> and uh and for women yeah it's literally it's literally what he says in his report it's, i mean I'm, I'm paraphrasing but it's essentially what he's saying and then for yeah. women he's like now mind you this is before any of the schools so in his report he lies about two things he says that schools take in women and they also take in black people uh but <laughs> this mind you at the time he wrote his report i'm like no because Literally, if you go to the University of Florida and these other schools, like these major universities, you can see when like the first woman was accepted. And it's not, it's like before our grandmother's, like it's not before our grandmother's time. It's within our parents or our grandparents' time. So 
he's like, oh, if they want to go to school, then we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't discriminate and have separate schools. They should just go to the ones that are already available. And I'm like, there's none that are available. (laughs) Right. right. uh, That was way back in what, 1913, he did that or 12? Yeah. Yeah. There's none of that. I mean, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's the the funniest thing because you read that report. And if you're thinking from like a 2022 mindset, you could be like, does that have, is that valid? And then you're like, no, because you're like, I, I mean, literally, I've been to the University of Florida campus. They'll tell you when the first black person was allowed into the first legal system and, and you know, medical school. And it's like, it's not that long ago. Yeah. Our, our time says less than a minute for the recording. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened here with my Zoom. I think maybe it's a different account. It wasn't the unlimited. Yeah, so we're, we're going to have to take a little intermission break here and start over again. So anybody listening, uh, bear with us and we'll, we'll be right back. All right. And we're back a little intermission and back, back in action. Yes. Um, I talked so, too much though. <laughs> no, man, it's all good. It's all good. We have a lot to say, a lot to, to get out to the world. Um, sure. So why don't we go over, um, you know, more examples, if you don't mind of naturopathic vitalism and perhaps some patient cases of yours that you had something that really stands out you know, maybe one or two cases of people that I know you talked about your creative patient, uh, but maybe just a little bit more into the specifics or, you know, whatever comes up that, that you're willing to yeah. share. Yeah, for sure. Um, tell you what, my favorite one to treat is diabetes. Mm. It's like my favorite condition to treat because people, people come into um, the office and they, they don't view diabetes like they do anemia. They think that it's permanent and inherent. It's like, genetic mm-hmm. that's i think that's the lie i hate the most about a functional medicine is your genes are broken it's mm-hmm. like biohacking to support your mitochondria because you inhaled some cigarette smoke when you were three and it just permanently destroyed all your mitochondria right. um, seriously they have, i mean i've heard crazy things but <clears throat> so i love treating diabetes heart disease uh, heart disease cholesterol I love these things because people think they're genetic and they're not. There's, they're as genetic as poverty is. It's like, mm-hmm. you think that's genetic? It's like, yeah, maybe according to the mentality of your parents and those around you, mm-hmm. but not, it's not actually in your blood. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, s- s- nucleotide that's going to make you poor. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, yeah. So I, so, okay. I'll give you an example of some of the patients that, so first thing I do with Every, every patient as I really try to do education. Mm-hmm. I really focus on education. I make sure that everybody leaves the office knowing why we're doing what we're doing as opposed to just what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I don't want them saying, I want to ask them, why are you doing that? And then sometimes like, they come back and I'll ask them, why are you doing that? And they'll say, oh, because this, this, this causes this. And I'm like, good. So then that means you know what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. So educating the patient, huge, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, people are not going to understand complex biochemical mechanisms that control their life. And, and those are even theories. They're not even exact anyway. Right. You know, yeah. enough P will save your life. So sure. Maybe, <laughs> but, uh, so what I do is, uh, so I'll talk about diabetes because I've had a lot of patients with diabetes and I've had many reverse their diabetes and type um, two you're talking about, of course, right? Type two. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've diagnosed a few people with type 1.5, which I also think is interesting is a lot of practitioners miss that Mm. because they assume it's type one or type two diabetes, but 10% of the population has 10% of type two diabetics have diabetes 1.5, which is the latent autoimmune diabetes that happens. So, um, it's like one, it's like diabetes type one, except it happens later, usually post viral infection. I'll say this, it happens post-toxic exposure. Mm. That can happen from anything, including the things that go in your arms that are supposed to protect you. Mm. That can cause it too. Mm-hmm. But yep. I don't want to say that word because you know I want to keep this flowing on Spotify. Yes, <laughs> so, sir. Yeah, totally understand. Okay, so uh, type two mostly. Yeah, type two mostly. Um, so what I do is uh, with patients, I educate them as what causes it. And it's not sugar. Most people think it's sugar. It's not. Um, sugar is not the best thing in the world for you. And I'm not arguing for the advent of eating processed sugars all day. Right. Um, but to say that you're a diabetic, so you should never eat potatoes is absolutely insane to me. So, 
what I do with my patients and I've had patients who've done both high, I've educated them on both like high keto diets where it's meat-based mm-hmm. and avoiding carbohydrates. Cause that's what they desired. And I respect what people desire. So that's what I do with them. Mm-hmm. And I've had patients who are like, you tell me the best way to go and I'll do it. And I'm like, well, according to the science, this is the best way I know for sure. Mm-hmm. And they've done it. And everybody who's reversed permanently reversed their diabetes in my experience has always gone the whole food plant-based route. Everybody. Mm-hmm. What, they, what I do with them is I drastically start eliminating saturated fat out of their diet. Um, saturated fat is mostly found in dairy oils and in animals. Those are the three main sources. If you're like a snacker, you will find a lot of saturated fat in snacks, like 21, uh, I want to say like 21 flaming hot Cheetos is like 11 grams of fat, something ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's That's like, that's nothing. That's not even a handful. Yeah. So, um, if you're eating things like flaming hot Cheetos, Takis and things like that, yeah, you're, you're, it's not going to be good for your diabetes, Mm -hmm. but, um, so what, I, what I've had patients come in, they don't know what they're doing. They've tried the keto route. Oh, I'm going to pause here because it looks like he froze. I'm good. I can see you. Oh, we're back. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm, you're good. Yep. So, um, yeah, I've had patients come in and they don't know what's causing their diabetes. And they're like, you know, I'm doing everything right. I tried losing some weight. I've been on this. I tried cutting out carbs and my, my hemoglobin A1C went down, but then now it's back up and like, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. So then I explained to them, saturated fat accumulates inside cells and particularly in liver and muscle cells, it damages the receptors and that ends up causing more insulin resistance. It damages insulin receptors that ends up causing more insulin resistance. If you reduce your saturated fat, you begin strength training you drink more water, you get better sleep. And like, that's crucial for diabetics. If you were ever work with diabetics, if their sleep pattern is off, their, their blood sugar is highly uh, irregulated because they it's, it can never find a stable balance with the cortisol that happens when you sleep and melatonin. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so I work with the basics with them. I say that once we get all of these things right, then I will look into agents you know, whether they're plant-based or whether they're nutraceuticals that will help lower your glycemic, the, the amount of blood sugar floating around in your bloodstream at this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that sometimes you need to support their system because they've been doing this for 30 years. Right. So I don't hit them. The first thing I don't do this, but any, I've reversed diabetes in over 15 patients so far. Awesome. Never, not diabetics anymore. They come in, I'm diabetic, help me. I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to get out of this. My grandparents had it. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means. It doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> that just tells me you had a bad lifestyle leading up to this. Right. So right. it's like telling me your parents were in debt. So you're going to be in debt. I'm like, okay, right. well, we get financially responsible and we'll see. Mm-hmm. So they come in, they're diabetic. We run some tests. I make sure they're not type 1.5 diabetes. Um, I educate them they start doing what they're going to be doing for the rest of their lives, essentially mm-hmm. for like two months. Then I might introduce one supplement for like a month. Mm-hmm. We check their hemoglobin A1C at the three month mark. Regard, I mean, if anybody does like 70% of the stuff I tell them, their hemoglobin A1C will drop drastically. And I'm talking, I've seen patients from the ones who are just like, oh, my hemoglobin A1C is like 7.2. So they're just barely diabetic. Mm-hmm. And it drops down to like, you know, 5.8. And it's like, oh, you're almost there. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people who are like, I'm my hemoglobin A1C is 12. Wow. And it drops down to six. Mm-hmm. So it's like three months. And I'm like, it's all about trajectory. Yeah. If you're heading the right path now, I mean, this is three months. Give your body one year of doing this. What do you think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. You will never be diabetic again. It'll never be a chance. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but they've also come to me and they've gone to other practitioners and they've done the whole thing you know, do this keto diet, you know, avoid these foods. Cause they're going to raise your blood sugar, take all these supplements, chromium, alpha lipoic acid, genema, and just start, mm-hmm. they start loading up on things, but it's like, they, they are not even living right to reverse their condition. Yep. You have to start that first. It's kind of like you, I say this to people all the time when they're gonna start working out, they're like, can I use a pre-workout? 
And I'm like, well, generally I caution against those because they're terrible for the heart. Mm-hmm. But you haven't worked on like four years. Just start moving. <laughs> like saying you want to start taking steroids because you want to get your bench press up. It's like, do you even bench press? It's like, no, nah, I don't bench. So we'll do that first before you start roiding up. Then. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. yeah. Like Dr. Lou always told us, you can't out supplement your way out of a bad diet. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's not going to be the answer. And, you know, that's why it always comes back to the basics. You know, like we really could spend all the time on that first level of the therapeutic order. Like it is Linlar, it is nature cure. It is all of that stuff. It's like, it's all right there to fix the diet, get the nutrients in detox, get all the toxins out, raise the vital force and whatever different ways you do that. Yep. That's pretty much it. I mean, you know, you can talk about hours in each one of those, but right. simple. simple. Sometimes it's not always easy, but it's very simple. I tell people it's like, uh, because if we just look at it from the simple perspective of, look, you could repair your roof when a leak pops in, or you could update your cabinets. You could change your flooring. You can work on all of these things little by little, and it's going to improve the quality of your home, regardless of what, because you can't stop the unpredictable tragedy of life from affecting you, you know, right. You go outside, your loved one dies in a car accident. There's nothing you can do about that. Right. So, but what you can do is fortify yourself as best you can, not for the sake of fighting disease, but Mm -hmm. for the sake of living the best life that you can live. And if you do that, look, people come to me all the time and they're like, I have anxiety. Okay. I still don't sleep well. Okay. I don't drink any water, like one cup of water a day at most. Mm -hmm. Okay. Eating terrible food, or maybe they're eating right. Let's give, let's give them the positive. Let's say they're eating good, eating it. They try to eat healthy, Mm -hmm. they're not sleeping well. They have no regulated sleeping patterns. They're not involved in good relationships. They're not happy with their job at all. Yeah. Right. And it's like, what makes you think you deserve to be healthy with all of those things negatively affecting you? Like, Mm -hmm. why would you assume that you should be healthy with those negative things looming over you constantly? Mm -hmm. It's like, maybe ill health is a natural adaptive response to the life that you're living in terms of those negative aspects. I've never met anybody who doesn't sleep well, or who doesn't have frequent bowel movements, who's healthy. Never. Yep. I've never met anybody who's like, I drink no water and they're healthy. I just, I just don't see it. Yeah. So, you know. I have made people who don't take Lipitor and are healthy though. <laughs> so, you know, there's no pill for, and then, you know, I, I, I had a patient the other day, they came in every once in a while in the naturopathic community, meet these patients who they know everything and they follow these doctors online. And right. there's, uh, you know, I, I, this theory and this theory, and they come in to read this book. I actually now don't even entertain that. I straight up asked them, look, you're here seeing me. Why don't you go see that person? Cause it seems like you like what they say more than what, what I have to offer you. Like, I haven't even met with you yet, but you're just telling me what everything that they say and you want to do it. So go meet with them and do it. Right. And if it doesn't result in your health, then come see me. Mm-hmm. So, but oh, I had a patient and they were coming from a, they were following this MD who's essentially espousing functional medicine ideology about, but it's naturopathic medicine. It's uh, well, I'll just say it cause I don't care. Cell mm. danger theory. I forget the, the, the doctor's name. Hmm. I don't know that. Nothing. Nothing fascinating about cell, cell danger theory, except if you're an MD and you have no idea about naturopathic medicine. <laughs> That's the only way it's fascinating because what he says is the path to cure is not the same as the path to disease in the first place. And it's like, yeah. And what he means by that is if your cholesterol is high and you have hyperlipidemia, taking Lipitor doesn't actually cure you. And I'm like, yeah, like every other form of medicine knows this, except the MDs who are just completely oblivious to every other form of medicine. <laughs> like they're the only ones who don't know that. Yeah, man. So. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense when you know what we know and why the system is the way it's set up and the history of it all, you know, it's like, it's not the MDs fault. They're stuck in a very broken system where it's yeah. ruled by the pharmaceutical companies and the insurance companies. And they're all in it together as Dr. Tina Moore calls them the medical mafia. And yeah. I mean, that's literally what it is. They strong arm people into doing what they say. And if you don't like it, you know, you're not going to get paid. You're not going to get a part of this group anymore. 
And so, you know, or you speak out against it and then you get ostracized, like all these front line, front line doctors and things these last couple of years, it's like, oh, sorry for speaking the truth. And you didn't want to, you weren't ready to hear it, you know, it flips yeah. your paradigm upside down. It's just so crazy, man. The, the, how messed up that conventional healthcare system is. And the answer to it all, I think is educating people and empowering them to realize they are their own self healers and that's it. And then little by little by little, they'll stop participating in that system and, and enjoying the, you know, the, the vitalism, uh, the resurgence that's happening, you know, I think strongly because, because it has to, because it, it's not going to last forever like this. No, a hundred percent. You know, lies, the origin of something will determine the longevity of it. And if it's a lie, it's interesting. I've learned the power of truth recently in, in a different way. And that, because the truth is hard and it's ugly sometimes and we don't want to face it, yep. but yep. it brings a healing with it mm-hmm. that lies don't. Yep. Lies, they perpetuate and then it's like the wound stays open because it never gets addressed. And no matter how ugly the truth is, it's like you have to, you have to address it and say it plainly to the best of your ability to articulate the truth with as much nuance as possible because seldom are things bluntly black and white to where you don't have required talking about the nuance of it. Um, but yeah, we're, we're definitely going to see the crumbling of the system. And actually, I think I already see it because there's new payment options that are opening. And I think once the alternative community starts to utilize these uh, effectively, because the issue, the only reason people go still go to the MDs and still follow the allopathic model is strictly because that's what insurance pays for. That's yeah. it. Yeah. The vast majority of people, I, I don't see them following that model if they have to pay out of pocket for it. I don't right. see them doing it. Right. Because when they do, they go to functional medicine practitioners. <laughs> I'm like, the yeah. only reason they do that is because they're looking for something different. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think with the new credit systems, the new money forms and stuff that are appearing and a new way to pay for things like a firm and stuff like that. As these things become more popular, more and more uh, alternative medicine communities are going to begin to utilize these to help cover costs. And once they do that, as long as it's not greed, that's at the center of that ideology, those businesses are going to thrive the most. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it just can't be centered around greed. And a lot of people don't want to do that because I understand it. You have student loan debts, things are expensive. And then you watch people who are, you know, ill-treating patients or not treating them appropriately. And they're getting paid, you know, $4,000 for a visit. And then here you are like, I charge only $200 for a visit. It's like, that's not fair. If I can get you better. It's like the patients that I see to go to the Mayo Clinic. It's like, you guys are spending way more money than you were spending to come see me but you're better after coming to see me than you were at the Mayo Clinic. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. I know. I, it, absolutely. And, and that's something that I get really passionate about is getting this poverty mindset out of our profession just completely because, you know, it, we can only help more people if we've got more resources and just a different way of doing business. And it's like, hey, it's up to us how we create that. Like you said, if greed is at the center of it, it's not going to be good long term. But we have the opportunity to do something different and not have it that way. And I don't know, you know, from my finance background, I understand the whole monetary system is a big mess. And that's definitely going to be changing. And, you know, I think cryptocurrencies and all of that stuff that's going on right now. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll create our own, you know, nature coin and get a bunch of investment around it. And that's our monetary system around the way to do healthcare in the new, you know, the new age. I don't know. Just yeah. That's, freaking, out there. that's freaking brilliant. I love that idea. Nature coin. You should <laughs> patent pending. Nobody's take that from us. Yeah, man. <laughs> and, and like, you know, there's all these crazy coins that are coming out left and right. And I read this book, the internet of money, uh, Andreas Antonopoulos highly recommended. It. It's a three-part series all about the crypto revolution and everything. And he talks about like back when the internet was starting, people didn't understand what the heck was going on. Like a website, what is that email? How does this work? You know? And he's like, back then it's like, now it's asking how many coins are there going to be? 
it's silly. It's like asking how many websites are there going to be? How many blogs are there going to be? Like there's going to be an infinite amount. Mm. So it's just about which ones really create value and have value for the ecosystem. And those are going to get more investment and more, you know, energy around it. So it's very interesting to me. I think there's a lot of paradigm shifts happening all at once right now with the cannabis and the psychedelics and all of this stuff in healthcare. A lot of people waking up to what's going on. So I think uh, pretty exciting, you know, coming around the corner here, uh, ultimately. But I think it might have to get a little worse before it gets better, but I think it will get better. (laughs) That's how all things go. That's how all things go. You touched on something interesting. You said value, which one demonstrates its value. I think that's actually the biggest part that we, if you see this, you, you look in the world, it's actually an issue right now. It's like people are trying to artificially assign values and say, and then impose those values onto others. And it's like, well, this is valuable. It's like, why? And, and then though they have their ideology as to why, but it's not actually not really thought through very well because it's only from their perspective. And the moment if it's not a talking point, they're really unfamiliar with the other thoughts that could actually contradict their viewpoint entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, most people are most people are only familiar with the talking points that oppose their viewpoint, not actually arguments that would literally flip their viewpoint to the other perspective if they made those arguments. Right. So favorite my bet the my favorite classes, and I'm internally grateful for my mother for doing this as well. Was promoting rhetoric in in psychology. I mean, in uh, philosophy learning to oppose your own ideas and say, here's your idea, you know, something simple. You could take the, the concept that something we all universally would agree with. It's like, you know, I don't know, babies are lovable or something like that. And like, you should love a baby. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, oppose that idea for a moment, even if it's not going to be a valid conclusion at the end, sincerely oppose that idea to the best of your ability and formulate arguments that would not, not that are straw man arguments that, that are easily defeatable by your original viewpoint, but arguments that really have to be taken into consideration. Make it as strong as possible. Then go back to your original viewpoint and then wrestle with those arguments and see if you can defeat those. And if you can't, well, well, well what always ends up happening is you synthesize a new view. Abortion mm-hmm. is like this. I see this all the time on abortion. I've heard so many stupid arguments for abortion. It's actually kind of annoying. <laughs> it's like... Mm-hmm. Um, so here's some talking points I've heard. You're a guy, so you should have no opinion on abortion. And I'm like, I shouldn't have any opinion on abortion whatsoever. But yeah, why? Because you're a guy. I'm like, okay, cool. Why? And they're like, well, it's because it's a woman's issue. Okay, so let, let's follow that logic now. As a man, I should have no thoughts or inputs, not even input necessarily, but no, I shouldn't care whatsoever either way on women's issues. Mm-hmm. That's what you're telling me. That's the valid argument that you're making. Well, you're a guy, so you shouldn't care what happens to women. It's like, oh, okay. If, I mean, if that's a st- just analyzing it from that perspective, I don't even need to go further with all the negatives that would come from that in- input. Cause it's like, so you don't want, so men shouldn't side with women on anything that would be beneficial either. Because as a guy, I shouldn't have anything to do with women's issues whatsoever. Good or bad, right? And good or bad. So it's like, really think your, your, thoughts through before you just spew them out it's like it's really stupid um <laughs> or it is it just is yeah and you have the other side where it's like um you know abortion should be completely illegal and it's like really you think that like completely illegal no alternatives no no exceptions no anything whatsoever like we shouldn't approach this thing and now um on on the other side because i'm like so you would recommend people just do them ad libitum like fun like drink water have an abortion just do both of them like no Mm -hmm. you wouldn't recommend that either Mm -hmm. if you're on the pro side of pro-choice so it's like there's a nuance to the conversation i think we're actually approaching it from the wrong level of analysis even in the first place but Mm -hmm. yeah like i think if we're going to have a conversation about abortions we need to even talk about how we even got to the conversation of abortions in the first place and talk about are there things that we need to fix in that aspect of society before we even get to even talking about this aspect of society? It's like, do we talk about jail culture and the things that happen in jail? Or do we talk about the things that actually send people to jail in the first place? Mm. It's like, I think it would be, it would behoove us to address the first point first before we even get into that conversation. Cause at that point, you're not even having a good conversation. It's kind of like the house is on fire, you know, 
and there's people burning in both rooms, which one do I grab? And it's like, well, both are going to be valid arguments to some degree, but maybe we should talk about why is the house on fire in the first place? Right. <laughs> can we put that out? You know, or like gun control, same kind of thing, right? Same, like, same thing. Same well, thing. Why are these people going and shooting up schools? Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's not about the guns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they could use knives too if they wanted. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, no, whatever. No. You know? There's exactly there's a broken thing in our system and our and the mentality of the person that has led to such violence. And now people who are anti-guns would say, um, and I'll mind you. Here's here's the funny thing with me, because this is where people get confused with me. I don't care either way yeah. because um, on any of the time, it's not that I don't care either way, but my personal opinions aren't going to impact the scenario in either way. Right. So they're only relevant to me. So I look at them no different from any other ideology by which I live. Mm -hmm. And that's just relevant to me. I don't drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. I view that no different from the religion I have. Mm -hmm. I view that no different from the uh, political beliefs I have. I believe they're just personal on how you want to live your life. Yeah. So, you know, when I talk about these things, it's funny to watch people because they're so heated and they're like, you stand for this. And I'm like, you actually have no idea what I stand for because right. I actually probably, if I oppose your idea, it's for reasons you probably never even thought of. And if yeah. I support your idea, that is damn sure not the reasons you think I support your idea. <laughs> I can care. I would bet my life on that. That's not yeah. the reasons you think I, I support your idea. But you, I mean, you said it perfectly. Gun control is one of those things to where it's like, yeah, guns make it easier for people who are psychotic to kill people like that. Yeah. But just, I mean, we also saw that with the car guy who tried to run a bunch of people over and it's like, well, we're going to stop driving now because right. they would just move on to a different tool. And it's like, maybe they would move on to a different tool. I don't know. Maybe guns are the, maybe gun is, a gun is the preferable tool because it has a certain limit. Maybe these people will go crazy enough and they'll start to get jobs at like water supply plants and start poisoning the entire water supply of a whole town. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not giving anybody any ideas, by the way, please don't do this. <laughs> I'm, just, yeah. I'm just saying you don't yeah. actually know that the, before decisions are made, you have to think about the ramifications that those decisions have and the details of them. And on arguments, you really have to think them through about what are you actually saying with the argument you're purporting forward. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, and it goes along the lines of what we were talking about before, you know, about philosophy. And you mentioned Kant and kind of like what's right versus mm -hmm. what's necessary, you know, along those lines. Like, talk a little bit more about that. I know you love that topic. I do love these topics. <laughs> um, so, I will say this probably the most useful thing for people to do is to learn about um, catastrophizing and levels of analysis hmm. uh, people who are depressed catastrophize to no limits they you know they spill uh, some juice on their shirt and it goes from i spilled juice on my shirt this was a nice shirt i don't take care of the things that i love therefore the thing i'm uh i'm not a responsible person and i'm not a responsible person and therefore i'm not worthy of love and therefore, it'd be better if I wasn't here because all I am is a burden to everybody else. And it's like they got there from pouring juice on their shirt. That's right. a huge, that's catastrophization. You're jumping levels of yep. depression. Yep. Whereas, um, so those are the levels of analysis. And so what I've learned is it's best to start with things at the smallest level of analysis that you think could fix the issue without encompassing everything else at the same time. Mm -hmm. So if you're, um, you know, if let's say you are depressed and you do spill something on your shirt, rather than, than go down that pathway of, I spilled on my shirt, I'm not responsible, I'm not worthy of love and all these things. Maybe you should just start with the basic thing of, look, accidents happen. I spilled on my shirt. Maybe I was being irresponsible. Maybe that's a true fact. And you have to own up to that and be honest with yourself and face that truth. But then the good thing is you actually know what to solve because then you could practice psychological techniques on being more responsible mm -hmm. so now if you're you become now you have something to actually train at and become better at so now instead of thinking you know i don't i'm not people are shouldn't care for me and all these other things no look i'm not the most responsible person that's probably true how can i become more responsible that's a good question because then your life will start to get better mm -hmm. okay maybe you have to take some classes maybe you have to listen to enough things maybe you have to actually practice so maybe you get a pet, a fish, something not hard to kill. Maybe you get a plant. You suck at raising plants or get a snake plant, something that's very hard to kill. 
And it's like, become responsible with that. Maybe try taking care of one thing that you really put your effort into. And no, it might not work out the best at one time, but mm -hmm. keep practicing at it because mm -hmm. the worst that's going to happen is you're going to become better at it over time. That's the worst thing that can happen. And then as you become better at it over time, it doesn't just stay there. It starts to permeate other things because that's how human behavior is. What we do in one aspect starts to permeate other levels in our life. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when it comes to like morally right and, and things like that, those are far deeper topics. But I would say what most people miss is the, that there's levels of analysis of things and things are not black and white. Usually you're presented with two bad things. Mm -hmm. And you have to pick between two bad choices because you put yourself, even if you didn't put yourself life or yourself, put yourself in a bad position. So, but that's what you do with cards, right? You mm -hmm. play the best hand you get, mm -hmm. regardless of the hand, you play the best hand and you play it the best you can. You learn that in sports. That's why everybody should play sports. Why? What do you, what do you learn in sports? Compete to the best of your ability, regardless of how good the opponent is in front of you. Mm -hmm. You go to practice. The other opponents might be bigger, stronger, faster have more resources, all of those things. All of that could be very true. You still show up to the game. You get the necessary equipment. You practice. You try your best. You learn how to endure adversity. You learn about the quality of other people when adversity comes and how to deal with them. Mm -hmm. um, you also learn discipline. There's so many things that bleed into other aspects of your life. I've learned everything I've learned from, from the soccer field, honestly. Like, mm. There's nothing I haven't thought about in life in depth that I said I couldn't have learned that lesson already on the soccer field. And if I just applied it in this, I would have excelled faster. Wow. So. That's powerful. Do you have some questions on your Instagram live? Uh, no, no, some, no, they're popping in and out. So we'll just, we'll just move on. Okay. All <laughs> right. Cool. Cool. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, you know, I think that something Gary V talks about a lot that I agree with him. I've seen it just in my own life is just being patient and just like zooming out and looking at the big picture of life. And like, you know, when I was 22, man, was I impatient. And, and as a result, I was like, Oh, I don't want to be a doctor when I'm old. And uh, so I switched my career to finance and, you know, went through that whole finance world and corporate sales and all these things. And then to realize then that, oh, I'm not passionate about that. Let me do something I'm really passionate about. And I yeah. ended up going back to school and becoming a doctor in my thirties anyway. So it's just funny. Like if I was just patient about it, you know, or just for investing in things or businesses or, you know, whatever things it's like, sometimes things really take a lot of effort and a lot of time to really manifest and, and develop so it just takes some patience and like, we have a lot of time, you know, yeah, we need to live every day. Like, like it's our last and live life to the fullest, but then also paradoxically at the same time plan for like, Hey, in five years, you know, if you really put your head down and get to work, you look up in five years, things could be, you know, a whole lot different. You just got to be patient. Yeah. Patience is a virtue. That's actually one of the books I'm uh, writing on is the seven heavenly virtues. People are familiar with the seven deadly sins, but not the opposite of those. Mm. And so I want to talk about those and how they can be applicable in your life um, to improve and how they connect with healthcare. So mm -hmm. yeah, patience is a, it has to be worked on. It's not something we're, we're not born patient. Right. We're not born patient at all. It's something that has to be developed and we know you get more patient over time. I've noticed that I've become far more patient over time. Um, even though I meet plenty of people like you're not patient enough still. Uh, I'm like, Oh, if only you knew me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I used to have zero patience for a lot of things. And now I've learned, like, I even was doing that the other day for myself. There's certain things that I want to accomplish that I haven't achieved yet. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, be patient. I've only had this idea for the last like six weeks. <laughs> right. Right. That's right. Exactly. Exciting time. It's, and that's the thing of too, of, you know, compare, starting to compare yourself to other people or what's going on or whatever. And that's always, you know, a dead end road because the really only person you should compare yourself is to yourself in the past. And like, are you progressing? You know, it's not perfection. It's really progress over perfection. And are mm. you getting better? Are you learning? Are you, you know, like no failures, only lessons. Are you learning from your mistakes, your quote unquote failures and applying them and integrating that information and then moving forward? Or are you just stuck in repeating the same patterns over and over and over again? You know, 
Um, yeah. and that's okay too, you know, and, and being compassionate with yourself too, is a big part of it. And realizing, yeah. Hey, it took me seven times to, to learn that lesson, but man, on the eighth <laughs> time, <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. That, that's how it, but you know, that's how it is when you practice anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, use a sport for an example, go out to a soccer field, hit a free kick, see how hard it is. If you've never kicked a soccer ball in your life, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And then you keep practicing and you keep practicing. And what happens? You eventually get better. I have a saying, I say, uh, and I'm just patent pending. Nobody steal this. <laughs> um, people always say practice makes perfect. Practice makes this. They have everyone. Practice actually just makes permanent. It's actually mm-hmm. what it does. Mm-hmm. The level at which you practice is the level at which you're going to perform that task. Right. Whether you, perf- whether you practice well or you practice poorly, you're going to perform poorly or you're going to perform well. Um, so practice just embeds the behavior of freak because it's frequency. So the more you do it, the more you just become adapted at doing it. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's Tony Robbins that has the quote, perfect practice makes perfect. Okay. Okay. He's trying to steal my stuff. I see. <laughs> That's close. Good job, Tony. Somebody tag him. Tony's got a couple of things figured out. You know, he's, he's, he's doing okay with this. <laughs> he's doing all right. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's awesome, man. I, I recommend that book, um, life force that he wrote, uh, that came out recently. It's got a lot of like new, you know, like stem cell technologies and like some stuff that we're probably not super into like CRISPR and things like that. Uh, but mm. some really interesting things, honestly, that are really amazing, like stem cell, like all the different things that we're, you know, in, like we learn about and and it's just an up and coming kind of regenerative medicine, you know, like just because somebody yeah. has whatever issues, you know, injuries, it doesn't mean that's it. They're done forever. Like there's amazing things that can be done nowadays for that. And I don't even know much about that world, but definitely recommend checking out that book. Um, it's a, it's a yeah. good one. Okay, well, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Are we done? No, we only have a minute and a half left on this timer. So yeah, I just wanted to, what were you going to say? I think it came up at the time. I can't hear him. Hey, you're cutting out now. We got like a minute left. Okay. Um, Oh, yeah. It said my internet fell off. It came back. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to say, going back to vitalism and the CRISPR mm-hmm. thing and such, mm-hmm. it's funny. I view those as external ways to try to stimulate the healing force. I feel it was just like higher force interventions to try to stimulate the healing force. Yeah. I see them. Yeah. So, right. I, I, I would agree. And, uh, there's, there's some pretty awesome, simple ways to stim- stimulate the healing force. There's some pretty cool new ways too, like PEMF and all these different cool things that are out there, you know? uh, Tesla coils and all these different things, you know? Um, so it'll definitely be interesting to see how kind of the new merges with the old and you know, how it always happens, but yeah, man, any closing thoughts before we get cut off here by zoom? Yeah. um, (laughs) Really great having uh, you as always. Yeah, no, it was great to do this. I mean, there's a lot more topics we can cover. Uh, maybe in the future we'll do a part three and we'll just nail down specific topics. I know we just kind of converse on thoughts and it goes wherever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we can, we definitely should do this again. And uh, I encourage people to just try to stay as healthy as you can and fix your life habits as best you can.